people don't need like another thing. And whenever one of these things come out, you see a lot of people that are thinking it's going to be like this silver bullet or this thing that kind of changes the game. When in reality, business fundamentals are business fundamentals. You got your customer journey. You got your operations. You have your offer. The customer journey is everything. The customer journey is how your target customer receives your offer. Those shiny objects that keep showing up every couple of years, a lot of people try to use them to like plug the gap of deficiencies in their business when in reality, they should probably go back to basics. Most people leave the customer journey up to chance or they don't really develop it and design it. Welcome to the More Clients, Less Effort podcast, where we provide expert insights and strategies to turbocharge your business growth. I'm your host, Tim Hyde, and in this series, we'll unpack the secrets, proven systems, and the sales and marketing strategies used by successful business owners to attract, convert, and keep A-class clients on autopilot. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur looking to scale your customer acquisition or a budding startup owner looking to crack the code on attracting the right clients, you've come to the right place. Join us on this journey to building a thriving business that leaves a lasting impact. Now let's get started. Welcome back. Yo! Oh, we've got a crowd behind you, Paul. Not that uh, not that our listeners can see, but certainly our people watching on YouTube can see the excited crowd for the the maestro today, Paul Sokol, joining me, mate, from all the way from, you're in Phoenix, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Phoenix, Arizona, where it's stinking hot and uh, freezing cold here in Australia. Now, if you don't know of Paul, certainly people in the Keep and Infusionsoft community will have come across Paul before, but uh, Paul is a mad muso, uh, having discovered heavy metal in high school drums and metal band consistently now. And I know that's something that's a real passion of yours, Paul. But mate, I love that you got your start selling dime store candy for 25 cents in middle school. And, yeah. you know, you've kind of taken this really interesting journey through, I guess, through music to discover engineering, sales engineering, process and automation to, to get to where you are today. But you've had a really interesting journey. You know, first, first that you dived into sales and marketing after founding your first company. You sold Cutco Knives for a little while. You know, you've helped thousands of business owners and leaders. You've written books on sales and marketing. You've sold more than half a million dollars in services, probably even more than that right now. You know, you've, you know, you helped local charities around, you know, music and, and helping people sort of access that sort of creative expression as well. Mate, all around good guy. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. I, I'm blushing. Tell me how you go, right? Tell me how do we get from, uh, and I know you, just before we, we started recording, you mentioned that you've just done the keynote on a on a stage, you know, presenting around automation. How do we go from selling dime store candy, speaking on stage and, and you know, in front of big audiences? It is a super fun journey. What, if you stop back and think about it, you know, I don't, you know, you forget all the stuff that you've done, but basically, you know, my family, you know, I was the only child didn't really have a whole lot of a lot of money so if I wanted anything I'd have to figure out how to how to get it and so I used to go my dad would play tennis on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I grew up in Northport Florida which is just like nothing Florida effectively and they actually built a skate park right like next to the tennis courts and so 
I'd go and go to the skate park and I'd play tennis. And there was like a Dollar General right around the corner. And I, they would sell the, the fun dip candies where, you know, it's, a, it's like a sugar stick. You dip it in the powder and, you know, it's fun. They would sell those for a dime and then also Jolly Rancher sticks for a dime as well. And so I go and spend, you know, buy like 10 of them or something and then go sell them on the, on the bus for a quarter and go, you know, some of my classmates in between classes. That's where I first learned about receivables and not giving people credit. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. But at the time, you know, if I could turn a block into 250 and then I was a theater kid as a drama nerd in high school. And so both on stage and off stage. So I'm super comfortable there are those roles. And then I went to school for electrical engineering at University of Central Florida, the Knights. And during that time, I sold Cutco Knights. And so I actually learned how to do direct sales before that. That was my first like serious, like boring business. Cause I, I like pushed carts in high school and like world pretzels at the mall, like that kind of stuff. But I pretty much was working as soon as I was like legally able to from the age of 15 and you know, still. Yeah. Were, were your parents quite entrepreneurial? Because I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that's much like this. Um, find this opportunity to create it, something for yourself. And it becomes almost a, a habit that you start exercising, isn't it? So I definitely have plenty of business, business people on both sides of my family. So my grandfather on my mom's side is he owned a mechanic shop and an, an auto shop for years he ran like the sears auto center of whatever dire indiana that they they would have been in and then my father and my dad's side was a uh, a hairstylist he was a barber salon guy in brooklyn chief said bay he ran his own shop and so I guess that kind of came down to me. My mom's a nurse. Um, well, now she's a nursing professor. My dad was is also a musician and also always was dabbling in different kind of things. And I guess, but it's not like a traditional, like, oh, my dad was like this executive or like, you know, my mom was some, you know, business lady. It was more like almost again out of a necessity that, that I kind of went into this. And same thing in college. I had to pay for college. So scholarships are great but they don't feed you every you know they, they'll, they'll get your tuition maybe some books but you still gotta you still gotta find a couple hundred bucks to pay for the room you're living in you gotta eat food and put gas in your car and so selling knives was really good because you could kind of work when you needed and it paid really well once you got to a certain point and you were making i think at the time after you passed 25 grand in sales you made 50 percent commission on everything you sold which is pretty Pretty fantastic. That's pretty handsome. And yeah, for selling like eight, nine hundred dollars set eyes. Like, yeah. that's cool. You just made four hundred bucks in an hour. And then I got an internship my senior year of undergrad at an actual electrical engineering company. And boy, was that not what I was expecting at all. Uh, you're basically just an engineer in front of a computer, either like laying out circuit boards or researching parts or, you know, they had a small lab where you're doing some kind of testing and it was cool, but I really didn't want to do that for my career for decades. Cause I know I would just get, would just get bored. And so when that internship was over, 
and I started grad school, that's also where my buddy Flywheel, this is his name, the name he goes by, he started a video email company. And it was him and I partnering up. His job was to get him in the door and, you know, and run the business. And then mine was to kind of do like the training and the support. And then together we would do sales webinars and trainings and stuff like that. So that's where I first got involved with Infusionsoft back in 2008, doing, doing that. And then at the end of- I'm really talking about the early days of, of email mm-hmm. marketing as a, as a product. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So, I mean, I've been around and you, you, when you're around long enough, you, you see the waves and the different tides of stuff. Like I remember when back in the day, it, it was guys like, like Frank Kern and Andy Jenkins and Sheffrin and like those, those old school dudes and some of them are still around. Uh, and you know, guys like Ryan Dicery, they didn't even have the scene yet. Now uh, the, the new kid on block, I think was like Brandon Richard and you know, I didn't even know what he's doing these days. And, you know, so it's funny to see throughout the years how some people stay in the game and some people leave the game or they'll hit a bunch of success and then they just disappear. And I'm assuming they're just living their lives and doing what they want to do. So that's really, yeah, I've, I've seen and done a lot. Um, and then ended up working for Keep for five years from 2011 to 2016. Started as a success coach because I was a software coach with Jive Systems. And so it just made sense. And I knew Infusionsoft because I used it. So it made sense to just oh, go ahead and onboard people. And I did that. And then the second half of that was in the actual product team itself. And that's where I really kind of mastered customer experience design, doing campaigns at scale, mm-hmm. just making a campaign that works. I, I released the campaigns in a month. I don't know if you were around during that time, but we did it for like two and a half years. And... Yeah, I had to build a campaign model that a thousand people could download in one day and not blow up support and make the peepish because they already didn't like me because I was always, and still to this day, I'm always pushing the software to like the limits of like what it can do, even if it wasn't necessarily designed for that, or if it's one of those like everything to do this. Well, sometimes you just got to find a solution for stuff. And then. Well, I realized that's because that's, you know, that's when I. You know, I was running a social media site, you know, in, in 2008. Okay. And, you know, we had, I think at that stage, even in 2010, we had more users in my hometown where we were kind of, we had our content focus than Facebook did, right? Which was really oh, nice. Two thirds of yeah. the population were on more than a hundred times a month. And, you know, I, I know those challenges because we were looking, you know, how do I manage this many relationships? You know, we had thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of relationships on like, how do I possibly manage this many relationships and 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 coming out from because I came out of IT as well, you know I was looking at it from an engineering perspective, going well if I've got a system that helps me manage it, well then that helps me scale a lot further. And I think about the time you joined Infusionsoft, which was about which is now Keep, as you know some people know, was about the time I've gone here is a system that kind of starts to make more sense to me as a product to manage these relationships, and it became much. I think probably about the time you were there was about the time they introduced a visual campaign builder as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Actually, so that, you know, you could visually map and model, you know, this customer journey from right from when someone first discovered you right to through to kind of, you know, how do they become raving fans? And it became a very easy, you know, you didn't have to sort of put it on a whiteboard or a bit of paper and then try to translate it or, or give it to some techie engineer guy to go and build. You could just drag and drop the bits you needed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was exciting because when that came out, there was about 30 or so success coaches and we were we were actively using that with our clients. We were using it to model out the customer journeys before the customers even had it in you know, their software. It was still kind of like a beta feature. And so I'm actually on my uh, on the B-Pro's YouTube channel. I started a show called Campaign Spelunking where I'm looking through my goal is eventually just get to every single campaign model in my system. They've got stuff back from like 2011. And the first couple episodes are, we're still going through these client modeling exercises. And then I would have, I would, I would model this out. We take a screenshot of it, give it to the client, and then we still have to go turn around and build it in, in legacy, like legacy, legacy automation back in the day. And it's so funny to see how the software changed from from now to then, the stuff that we used to have that didn't, a lot of stuff that people kind of take for granted, like internal forums didn't show up for a few years, which is pretty shocking because they're, you know. So useful. So useful, yeah, to just have like a big red automation button where you just pop in some data and hit go. And then even looking at like my own strategies of it and seeing how I would do things differently now. Just knowing what I know compared to how I would have done stuff back in the day. I could geek out on this all all the time. So I guess closing the loop of the original, how do I get out to you know to do it to keynoting? Keep had their annual their icon event and they're always looking for speakers and you know, me being a theater geek and, and all that jazz. I love being on stage, whether it's a training or an entertainment purpose. And so I spoke at pretty much almost every icon the Recon from like 2012 on, and even a couple of partner cons. And then this last automated marketing summit was partnered up with myself and Sean Snowday, who's another old schooler. Do you know Sean? I don't. You should, you should, you should connect with him. He's a super cool guy. And it was, so it was the two of us and Jade, and then uh, Bryce Christensen plus this. And they needed, you know, who's going to be the, the, the headlining speaker of this very first event. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'll, I'll do an official keynote. That'll be, that'll be my thing. Cause eventually I would love to do less of the, in the trenches stuff and stick more to the strategy and we're, you know, teaching and, and keynoting and whatnot. So this is a really good opportunity to do that. And, <laughs> and as we were talking before we started, I emailed my list, like my whole list for the first time since I think April or March or something like that. And then the, the spam, the keep spam police slapped me on the wrist and said, Hey, you had to, got to clean your list up or email more often. And, and that was, that was fun. It's no big deal. Cause yeah, you know, like uh, something that caught me in the last two weeks as well. So, <laughs> so mate, so, you, you've been, you've been, you know, you left keep in 2016, you've been running B pro now for, you know, seven years. What have, what are the, some of the changes that you've seen in the space? Obviously a lot of conversation going on at present around automation, not automation, AI, right? Mm-hmm. We call it augmented intelligence because it's been making dumb people dumber since 2013, 2023, <laughs> smart people smarter. You know, what have you seen in terms of the last, so the last seven years in terms of automation and, and, and what people, you know, maybe some of the opportunities that people are missing and how you see AI changing some of that? So I, I, I totally agree with you that it's making dumb people dumber and, and smart people smarter because it's a tool, you know, garbage in, garbage out, the better you are, you know, giving it prompts and training it, the better the results you're going to be. And yeah, it is really interesting to see every couple of years, some shiny new thing 
shows up. Like I remember when chatbots were a big deal in like 2018 and then all of a sudden it's got chatbots and chatbot this, chatbot that. And then it just kind of died out. And then it's just a thing now. It's a tool. It's a tactic. It's a, you know, it's a customer interaction, whatever. And then let's see, you usually see that with, we started to see that with the fast feed video styles too, of like, like Snapchats and TikToks and those kind of quick, you know, which is different, which I remember, remember mine, how it used to be six second loops back in the day. That was kind of like the proto version of that. And it's, and now we, the latest innovation I think we're seeing is this AI piece. So what's neat to me is that the, the, the amount of time that something is exciting is getting less and less and less. And so with chatbots, there's a huge chatbot, you know, buzz for maybe about six to eight months or something like that. And then neither of really talking about it anymore. And AI is kind of the same way where it was huge. And then now it's just something that people use. There's not a bunch of, you know, buzz around. Happy about it. I must admit, um, I thought, you know, threads, I, I don't know if you're on threads yet, but I, I, uh, I jumped on threads recently. And I was on for a week. Oh, yeah. And now I haven't heard anything about it. No one's mentioned it to me at all. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah, they got a whole bunch of people on threads. And it's like, why? Like, what? So it's an attempt to take on well, formerly known as Twitter. What do we call it? X now? It's, just kind of, it's an X replacement. I don't know. But yeah, people don't need like another thing. And whenever one of these things come out, lot of people that are thinking it's going to be like this silver bullet or this thing that kind of changes the game when in reality it's business fundamentals or business fundamentals man you got your customer journey you got your operations you have your offer you know whatever that is let's uh, let's let's go into that all right because someone just won't know what a customer journey is i want to explore that a bit further but you and i know it because it's been really part of core you know, messaging that Infusionsoft been putting out for, or Keeper been putting out for now, you know, twenty years. Talk to me. Talk to me. You know, what is a customer journey, and why is it important to a business? The customer journey is everything. The customer journey is how your target customer receives your offer. I the, what I talked about at the summit is this, this business stack model that I've been teaching and using with my private clients for years. And it came as a result of the, the work I did in product research. And, and it's a customer-centric model where you, you have your customer that receives your offer through the customer journey of the marketing, the sales, and the fulfillment of it. And then the operations is the often behind the scenes, how do you market? How do you sell? How do you fulfill? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, people are providing that and then money drives it. And that's it's just like the human body. You can develop a human body, but if you don't have a scalable system, it's not going to work. <laughs> uh, you got to have all, all those parts. And so this sh- those shiny objects that keep showing up every couple of years, a lot of people try to use them to like plug the gap of deficiencies in their business when in reality, they should probably go back to basics kind of stuff. So most people leave the customer journey up to chance or they don't really develop it and design it it's almost like a movie or tv show like that doesn't just show up it gets you know storyboarded out each shot each you know all the scripts are done there's all the the post 
production and editing and, and things like that. And a lot of people, I feel, don't want to put in that much effort and work, which is sad to me because there's a lot of great offers out there that people just don't really know how to connect with people and deliver a good journey. And then it's extra frustrating to me because I see people putting you know crap out, but they actually do know how to build a decent journey and then they become they become millionaires and it's it's a it's a weak product. I see that happening with a lot of like real estate folks. So they they just kind of made a couple of right deals, right place, right time, and they think they're these amazing business people. But if you look under the hood, they're barely hanging together. And it's like, man, if you were to just dial in your journey and get really clear on it, you'd have a viable business. Uh, like I'm working with a client right now. They they do gazebos and pavilions and, and you know big outdoor structures, right? And, you know, easily five, sometimes six figure projects. And the sales team has just not salesy. You know, we built the whole pipeline. We built all sorts of stuff and basic stuff like leads are coming in, but they weren't being signed right away. Yeah, somebody was manually doing it maybe 48 hours later kind of thing, which uh, for sales, that speed of response is really important, especially if somebody's going to your website says, hey, I want to buy a gazebo, you probably pick up the phone right away yeah. and, and talk to them. And then things like just following up with people. Hey, they, they've got a lot of opportunities with next action dates in the past. And like really in the past, there's ones from like 2020 and like, there's like one from 2017 and I'm like, what is going on here? And this dude's like trying to grow his business and, you know, take it to the next level. And like, he's now kind of being forced to face the reality of the sales journey and the journey itself was not being honored. And so we're working against that. It's not really a, a system issue at this point. It's come more of a people. Reminds me of a client that I had, you know, same, same sort of issue. It actually sent out a, you know, it spoken to someone, uh, I was a, a web developer, had spoken to a, a prospect. Prospect was, you know, really interested, you know, promised to send over the proposal and, and, and pricing, you know, had ostensibly had agreement to go ahead and, you know, and then a week went by. And then a second week went by, and the third week went by. It's like the owner's going, then eh. he's probably gone and bought from someone else. And then six months later, this guy has bumped into the prospect in the supermarket line. <laughs> and the guy's like, are you ever going to send that proposal over? <laughs> you know, we, we do so much to attract attention. I think this is, you know, you've made an absolutely brilliant point about, you know, this architecting this customer journey as part of the fundamental strategy of getting your business right. You know, where do I find my clients and where do I want to take them to, to the point where they're, they're raving fans of what did I do? And there's all these little micro components along the way where we're trying to, I guess, really create an emotion in our prospect in our, and or our customer mm -hmm. that they go, I feel like I need to do the next step with you. And if they don't, they disappear to someone else. Mm -hmm. you know, they go and buy from someone else. It's almost like, you know, getting your kids to clean their bedroom and expecting them to do it the first time. It's not mm -hmm. their priority, right? But if we architect a customer journey that picks up those, you know, the, that it acknowledges the fact that my kids don't want to clean the bedroom or my prospect doesn't really want to buy from me and I, or they've got other priorities that they want to do and the thing that I want them to do isn't the thing, you know, isn't necessarily the top priority. But if I architect a customer journey to do it, 
and then use the right systems in place, the right tools, whether it be Keep or whether it be AI or whether it be TikTok or whatever, to kind of create that emotional state where they want to take the next step, where it's easier to take the next step with you, they're more likely to do so. Yeah. And we and we take away that chance. We take away that, you know, the, you know, why is it that my product is better than everybody else's, but I don't seem to be having the same success kind mm-hmm. of, you know, thinking that happens in the market. Yeah, that's whenever people are like, oh, I know it sells itself. I'm like, no, nothing sells itself. You still have to sell it. And if you're afraid to sell, you need to either sack up and sell or pay somebody else to do it. And that's your ignorance tax. Uh, it's it's really expensive to be ignorant. And I, and I see this all the time where people, either they don't know what they don't know or they know it and they're not interested in putting in, again, that boring, unsexy, you know, revenue-generating work. But that's in the short term. In the long term, it's going to be way more successful designing it right. The first time I think about its experiences, I think about like theme park rides. And that's a great example of, of an automated experience. You know, sit in the, the whatever, the, the cart, the roller coaster, whatever it is, and you are taken through a meticulously designed experience to create that suspension of disbelief and be enjoyable and be fun. And if you do it right, it'll go for pretty much ever. I mean, look at the the Haunted Mansion in Disney. That's like one of the original rides, and it's still awesome because they made it this awesome, magical kind of thing. And it's it's pretty low-tech. There's a couple really cool things in it, but for the most part, it's kind of low-tech, especially compared to like what's, what's doable now. But man, they made that experience killer. And it's still fun and relevant to this day. And, and a customer journey, and, and it leaves also nothing up to chance. That's the other thing, too, that every possible thing has been considered. Even the things unreasonable, like Space Mountain. So my cousin is a DJ out there in Orlando, Florida, been doing it for decades. And he worked at Disney, you know, in, in college or something like that. And uh, Space Mountain has you know a bunch of safety features in it because it's a roller coaster. It can kill people literally if you're if something happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's various invisible like sensors and laser beams, kind of like a garage door opener sensor. And every once in a while they would have they'd like flick pennies up into the rafters to try and break one of the beams and you know stop the ride. And you know then they'd have to you know turn the lights on and you know reset the machine and people are freaking out. But that's one of those things that you would never know about. It, it, unless it either happened because it wasn't an emergency or the operational, you're one of the people that understands how it works. And so we were talking about this earlier at the beginning of the call. I showed you we had the, some guy opted out on like Friday and I got a task today to follow up with him because I have a name and a phone number for him. So I always, and I don't say, hey, go ahead and get back on my list. I just acknowledge that they opted out. Is there anything you want to tell me about my emails going forward? And sometimes that feedback is really good. Sometimes it hurts to hear, but if you can place your own feelings aside about it and look at the data of what they're telling you, it could be super helpful. And I didn't even realize, I guess, so they opted out and then I get this task this afternoon. I'm like, what the heck? What did the automation mess up? And I completely forgot that I batched it to only doing Tuesday and Thursday afternoons when I'm doing my singles activities, my relationship building. 
And that's by design. That's intentional. I think the key thing there is intentional, right? You know, as adults, we we simplify stuff, right? So, you know, if you're out of milk, just going to the shops to get some milk. But that that you know, that action actually has a thousand sub actions to it. Right? And when we're building and designing this customer journey, we've got to we've got to think about those things. Well, what if? And then what? And then what? And then what? Mm-hmm. And if they don't do that, and then what? Right. So, you know, that just something as simple as going, well, if someone opts out, and then what? Right? Do I just yeah. let them go or do I create an activity for me or, or someone on my team to go and give them a call and say, Hey, look, you know, I just wanted to understand why you opted out. You know, what weren't you getting from what does we do? And then you can do whatever you want with that, right? You could either act with that information or not. But, you know, it's only through that continuous improvement that we actually that we actually get better. Certainly in my experience where like you've worked with lots of and keep people who are on the success services program as well and and maybe done a thousand odd you know consultations with with keep clients in some cases you know with with people using other systems as well and what certainly what i find is that people do this one action and i've got an opt-in form great and i deliver the email for the resource you've requested that's it that's the extent of the automation mm-hmm. and my question to them is always what do you want to happen then you know and yeah. then what do you want to happen and then what do you want to happen and mm-hmm. if they don't do that thing in the time frame that you've allotted for it, and then what do you want to happen, right? But it's actually starting to tease that thing out and go, okay, well, you know, if I had two tools like in like Keeper, autistic two-year-olds, right? Can't really think for itself, but we'll do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Like that roller coaster. Yeah, yeah you're right. If somebody opts in for something and you give it to them, usually, like so that that's where most people will stop, and then they'll just go like right on the sales pitch with something and say, well, hold on now. If they requested this thing and they don't download it right away, why would you continue to behave like they already have? That's not building the relationship. You wouldn't do that in real life. You would follow up with them. Hey, thing you requested a couple of days ago, don't forget. And then maybe do like a third, a third follow up one week after the initial one. It says, Hey, you know, about a week ago, you got this. I just wanted to make sure you saw it. I'm not going to bug you about this anymore, but hey, here's the link again. Yes. And what is it? Saying, the success yeah, in your right. business to date mm-hmm. is based on everyone that you ever met doing exactly what you wanted them to do. And most of the people didn't. That's exactly it. You got to factor in. And I, I see when people are designing their customer journeys, they'll do a lot of hand waving. Like I love doing sales pipelines. It's you know, one of my favorite things to do. And people are like, well, what's your sales process? Well, you know, we get them on the phone and then we send them a contract and close. And we're like, hold on. <laughs> That's like saying, how do you make a movie? Yeah, let me just film it and edit it. And there it is. Like, no. What do you like? And sometimes you really have to, to dial into, they do this thing. What is literally, what is the one thing that happens next? Like, don't, you know, you get a lead. Yeah, well, we call this. No, no, no. Okay, hold on, hold on. What are you actually doing? Like the actual workflow. And sometimes I'll even have them share their screen and I'll be like, no, just share your screen, but do your thing. Show me what you do. And they'll be just hand waving over all of this stuff, but I'm watching them do all the, you know, all these workflows and going one place, the other and whatnot. And I'm like, you're doing this and then you do this. Oh yeah, I guess I do do this. Yeah. And then, and then this happens and then, and then that. I mean, if you think about what you're offering and then what the customer journey is and then what the messaging is going to be and then the operations of how that's actually going to go out, 
now you can actually start talking about the tool. Because again, it's it's like it's like making a movie. It's like when 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 Spielberg was doing Jaws and the shark jumps out of the water onto the, the boat. That was storyboarded out. He's like, in this shot, the shark's going to come out and do this. And as you know, special effects teams like, well, how are we going to do that? And he's like, well, that's your job to figure out. I need the shark to jump out of the water onto the boat for this shot. Guess you're getting paid to figure out. And so that's usually how a lot of the innovations and and you know crazy mad scientist stuff that I've come up with over the years has been over that need. Like the uh like this this gazebo guy, he gets a bunch of spam leads, just you know, bots coming in and filling forms on his site. It's super common. And he didn't want his sales team to be annoyed by that. And so that's the reason why I figured out how to use Keeps API. Because he just wanted to zap a lead out or, you know, post out to Zapier, a of logic checks. Because it was, it was super, it, it was a very obvious thing. Either the first name and the last name matched or the phone number began with the country code that wasn't real. Those are the features of the spam leads. Every single one that came in had one of those two features. So we built the Zap to do that. And then it hits the API and deletes the contact if they are spam. And that's that's the reason why I figured that out because that's what we needed. Not we needed to use the API to delete a bad spam lead. There is an API. There's a way to programmatically delete a contact. Has to be some way to figure it out. Oh, well, there we are. And now that's that's why I did that monkeypod thing with Greg and showed him how that whole thing works because sometimes stuff you can't do on the software directly that you could automate if you know how to write the code for it. But if you're not a code type, which I'm not, that's why I went into electrical engineering. I didn't want to you know, be a computer scientist writing code all the time. There's still ways to do it. So what was the necessities of other invention? That's that's kind of... So, it's coming back to that. And we like back to that architecture, right? Coming back to understanding what that customer journey looks like, mm-hmm. where it pain points, and then finding a solution for those. Right. Yeah. You can't just find a solution and stick it on without yeah. understanding what the pain is. What's, mm-hmm. a, what's, what's the system that you use in your business that helps you, you know, get a massive amount of leverage in your marketing and sales pressures? There's two campaigns that I love that are so simple and they're great because I'm a firm believer that, you know, excellence is a habit. And so your daily habits feed your weekly habits, your monthly, your quarterly, your annual habits. So these are campaigns that they're an annual habit for me now. The the first one is a it's a classic nurture campaign. So anytime somebody is they're still a sales lead, I'm gonna follow up with them, but maybe not for a couple of months or the project's on hold, you know, follow up with me in June or whatever the case is, right? I've got a series of nine emails plus two for daylight savings time that go out in a year and then they get put right back into it and so if somebody is sitting in a long-term nurture stage for years just keep getting the same emails from me but they're not because once a year i go in and i adjust the subject lines and i adjust a little bit of the content but it's a classic nurture because there's there's almost no call to action other than hey what's going on how are you thinking about hey it's international friendship day What's up, friend? How's life? That kind of stuff. And and so April Fools, right? I I designed it around international holidays, and April Fools is one of those. Well, 
in January of 2020, before the pandemic shut everything down, I wrote the April Fools for that year to be like, oh, I'm shutting down business since now closing. Just kidding, April Fools. You know, hope you're doing well. Well, I do this at the you know, beginning of January every year, and then you forget about it, and you just, you know, get your sales process. People are in long-term nurture. And then April 1st hits in the middle of the pandemic, and I send out this email that's like, you know, important announcement shutting down. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I panicked a bunch of people. So I was like, oh, my God, are you really going out of business? Like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, God, no, that's my long-term nurture. I completely didn't even think about that. It's, it's just there. So it got good engagement. And well, then April, I, April 1st would have been about the time that so many people were like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. In my head yeah, was everything was falling apart. So, yeah, it, the timing was hilarious. And, yeah, once a year I spend about 15, 30 minutes just refreshing those emails. I mean, I look at the, the open rates and, you know, did one email, was it getting any opt-outs or stuff like that and see if I could figure out maybe what happened with that. But it only takes, you know, 15, 30 minutes to just spin those up and – modify them a little bit and so that's really good to keep people engaged and that's absolutely bubbled up clients that you know i'm trying to reach out with they're trying to re-engage them and they just get the happy father's day email and they're like hey let's get the care from me man yeah we're still looking to do this and then the other campaign is a similar concept but it's for people that are paying client and it's a repeating referral request where there's there's two request for a referral immediately within like the first 30 days and then every 100 days they get in with it email hey how's it going what's up and uh, you know anybody that may be interested in what we have going on you know good classic direct sales training right you know it's gotta it's not just close the deal you gotta go get referrals so you gotta go with the next place to sell and same thing once a year i adjust those emails and those are a little more informational where i will be like hey here's a cool blog post or something like that and so within a year i can easily i've always been able to produce at least two pieces of content that i feel are worthy to send up clients and that does bring in referrals and keeps me top of mind for people and they'll get that forever until they opt out or blacklist because sometimes i don't want to work with people and i have a blacklist tag that that'll pull them out and all my lists are checking against that um, and I love those campaigns and I've given them to people before and it's so simple. It's not any hardcore selling, you know, not anything pushy. It's th- that's why I call it a classic nurture. Cause it's like what sales reps used to do back in the day, you know, in like the fifties and whatnot, they'd go around. Yeah. Hey, what's, what's up Johnny? And you know, how's the wife and kids? It's Susie. Yeah, you know, how's the thing working out? Okay, cool. Great. You know, everything good. You need any support, you know, just being a human. <laughs> What is you know this is the thing right it's it's contact management not just customer management right it's how do I manage the people that I know my um wife hates me mentioning this but I built an automation that sends her flowers man we as as success coaches you know because you know a lot of us were young dudes at the time and we would joke about creating like automated dating pipelines. You know, like like uh, like a white pipeline of different sales stages of like you know first date, you know second date, you know steady, you know engage this kind of stuff, and coming up with just really, really nefarious copywriting ideas of like on your first date having an internal form of like you know you know what was the date, where did you go, and like what's a memorable thing, and then in future emails you can never forget when we went we went to Florentino's and, and the waiter spilled wine all over. That was great. You know, hope you're doing great. Or sending voice broadcasts 
that's like, hey, how's it going? I just wanted to call. Close. I got to call you back later. I'm thinking about you. Bye. You know, like, like that kind of stuff. We never did it, but man, it would have worked. Our, our biggest problem was like, how do we not have the unsubscribe link at the bottom of these emails? That's what we're, we're like, because if that's the only thing that ruins the magic trick. <laughs> Only thing that would ruin the magic trick if we could somehow <laughs> yeah, just, not just have the these right lots of spices before the mm-hmm. yeah something like that. But you're totally right. I mean, that's what the R and CRM is: it's the customer relationship. The key, one, the key one is that relationship, right? You know, we, we try to build relationships with people, and what we're trying to do with automation is really systemize how we build that relationship. As you mm-hmm. said, it's just like that roller coaster. I've designed this roller coaster. It starts and finishes at the same point. Every time. And it does the same thing over and over and over again. And the more we can architect that, the more we can then spend time working on perfecting that roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Take people you know, or growing the business with it. So, okay, we've built this roller coaster pool. Now let's go ahead and get people into the park. Let's get them selling tickets. Let's, we build this awesome sales pipeline. Great. Let's turn it on and start managing our leads through that. Um, it's, it's a blast. Man, some absolutely value bombs in that. We're going to finish up with a couple of quick questions. And I would love to know, let's do this one. What does your morning routine look like? So ideally, my morning routine, is, it's actually way overstructured. This is kind of a fun question. I don't always do this. In fact, just now getting myself back into a decently productive, out of a funk spot in my life. Because at the beginning of the year, one of the part, you know, one of the partners would be pro left, and then also I got kicked out of the band that I was playing at the time. So just a whole bunch of personal shit going on, and I completely stopped my morning rituals. But ideally, upon waking, give gratitude for another day to exist. You know, go ahead and you know use the body, brush my teeth, come into the office and recite my affirmations, choose a possibility for the day. Go downstairs and walk the dog. Then we come back, feed the dog and the cats. There's a cat right now. And then if it's a gym day, I would then go to the gym, uh, eat breakfast, then take a shower. And then yeah. then my day would start. But I love that, I love that sort of affirmation. It's so important uh, to go, what's my intentionality? And I think mm-hmm. you know, too many people we sort of just exist. Unless we set that intentionality for what does success look like or what is my, you know, what is my intentionality for the day? You know, well, here's the trick is I, uh, and again, this is a habit I need to get back into, but planning my day the night before. So at nine o'clock, I have an alarm that goes off that whatever I'm doing, go ahead and plan out your day. And then that way you go to sleep knowing what tomorrow is going to look like. And so like I've got, you know, our, uh, here's our, you got our podcast, right? You know, that, you know, that also lets you know what's coming up in the following day. So there's no surprises. And then hopefully you're excited about what tomorrow brings. And so I wake up knowing, oh man, I get to have this call with this client today or like I'm doing an ad planning call first thing tomorrow morning. And so like, that's going to be a lot of fun. Hi, Andy. It is, I'm the guest. This is Andy, a little Calby. And she must watch something there. But that's the morning routine if I do it in and if I'm in integrity with that, which I've not been lately, but that's what it should be. Where do uh, you where do you turn when you feel stuck? I turn to the community. 
So if I'm dealing with something like business-wise that I'm stuck, I'll lean on like the key partner. If it's something a little more intense, there's maybe, you know, there's like certain people in that community that I know are like good at certain things. If I'm dealing with like a personal thing, I'll usually talk to my mom about her, talk to one of my so I know has dealt with something similar because I can't do it alone at all, especially not to do what I want to do and leave the mark I want to leave on the world. So whenever I'm starting, like just talking to my girlfriend, sometimes it's really good to just get it out of my head and try and figure it out. Writing stuff is actually pretty good. Just writing down how I'm feeling. I've written all sorts of crazy lyrics for songs that may never get written. And then you feel a lot better having it out of your head. So sometimes it's a person like a, it's sometimes it is something where like, I know that I just have to work it out as me. And so writing is usually a, a good thing. I like diagramming stuff out. Uh, however, it makes sense in my head. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing, just get it out of your head in some form. Mm-hmm. Writing it, speaking it, talking to someone who can give you perspective. Mm-hmm. One, my one question I've, I've, I've asked of the partner managers at, at Keep for a long time is like, how do we create a, a Paul Sokol for our business? Uh, how do you create that mad engineer? In your opinion, what is the most important personality trait or strength that someone needs to be the mad monk of automation? That's a great question. I would say it's it's having a combination of Jack, no, blue healer. So of course he's always turned around at the cats, right? It's a combination of thinking analytically while also having a creative drive. Because if you think way too logically, you're you're gonna keep running into walls or you're gonna come up with solutions that maybe are missing the point. Or if you're being overly creative you can do the same thing, just the other side of that coin. So always, always learning and also being super open-minded to everything, even if you disagree with it. Like, I don't think I've ever, I've only unfriended or blocked like two or three people in my entire life on social, despite the fact that there's plenty of people that, you know, have, you know, political or spiritual belief systems that like, I don't always agree with. But those pe- those kinds of people exist and they have theirs and their beliefs around stuff. And also it can come up with good ideas sometimes. Looking and seeing how somebody else operates, maybe it'll give you an idea of how to solve you know, some other problem that you never even considered. Yeah. So I guess not being complacent and being, tena- being tenacious is a good one. And not only yeah. that comes through just doing it and doing it and being okay with making mistakes and learning from them. I'd say the last thing is it's not just being, you know, analytical, creative. It does no good if you keep it to yourself. So having, encouraging people to teach others, either either just, you know, internally, privately on the team, teaching them what you figured out or talking them through it or keep being more public about it, maybe turning them into a marketing asset. You know, here's, here's our resident nerd who's going to teach you about this thing that we do. And that's why our customers are successful. Just going to sort of one thing I'm, I'm going to add to that as I think curiosity is a, is a really important, you know, trait right. as well, you know, and just being curious, how, how would I solve this problem for someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was like to say there's, you can touch your nose 
and just like directly touch your nose or you can like wrap your entire arm around your head and touch your nose it's one's a lot harder than the other and i see a lot of people wrapping their arm around their head to touch their nose just because just because they can that. <laughs> yeah lastly paul where can people find you so i'm definitely all over the internet if you're a social media type person uh, i'm all over facebook and linkedin uh, as well as twitter but that's you know that's kind of a dying platform in my opinion and then if you'd like to read our blog posts or watch campaigns working, you can go to bpro.events. That's our website and look at our link tree and that's got all the goods there and reach out. I'm always down to answer questions and help out. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes. Paul, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of More Clients, Less Efforts and Absolute Value Bombs throughout the entire show and, you know, I really appreciate you joining us and sharing your um, wealth of expertise with us today. Guys, thanks again for joining us. Looking forward to another episode next week. We'll catch you very soon. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of More Clients, Less Effort. Join us next time for another insightful discussion filled with actionable advice and inspiring stories, all geared towards helping you grow and scale your business simply and easily. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.